the teeth, the tip of the tongue. The lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue. Unique New York. Unique New York. Peggy Babcock. Peggy Babcock. Oh, hello there, and welcome to The Weird. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Riley. Oh, wait a minute. My name is Dan. Dan spelled backwards is Nad. <laughs> I can't go anywhere with yeah, that. I think that we're... That was bad improv. Nad. No, it's not. There's no such uh, thing as bad If ever improv. I get into a corner like that from now on, I'm just going to go, wash basin. I shan't damage it to shore for a wash basin. She never came back. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Weird. I am your host, Dan, and, and the other guy, uh, the other voice you hear, his name is Riley. But most people call me Wash Bation. For short, we call him Wash Bation. <laughs> it's hard to say. It's hard to say. And now I feel like I'm always going to say Wash Bation. Uh, Riley, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. We had an interesting week last week with some technical uh, hiccups. But I think we we pulled through, and I and uh, that was a, a fun episode that we uh, we put together there. I think this is Halloween. This is Halloween. 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 Uh, great movie, by the way. Yeah, you know I love that movie, and I'm unfortunately I'm tired of seeing merchandise about a movie that's like 20 years old. Oh, I see. Yeah, but it's iconic. I know, but Jesus, God, let it go. It's like every goth girl's, like, gateway drug. <laughs> By the way, uh, I know in, in past episodes, your dog has made an appearance on the podcast. I have uh, my neighbor's uh, sister is visiting, and she has a beautiful hound named Rosie. And uh, you may hear Rosie periodically in the, uh, in the episode uh, howling. Well, that's okay. It means we're alive. It does, doesn't it? You know, we're part of communities that are alive and thriving. Oh, I thought, like, I'm literally alive. Well, you are. Uh, am I, though? Riley, I have something that I'd like to share with you tonight. Is there anything administrative before you... It's always the same thing. Yeah, just follow us on whatever. Follow us on whatever. If you like what you, you're listening to, then um, continue to listen and rate us and communicate with us. And something that we haven't seen for a while now is if you have a show idea, something that, that you would like to hear us cover, let us know. We're always looking for new ideas and uh, that it's, it's fun to have that uh, back and forth with uh, our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. we love that communication. We're, we're here to keep you guys happy. So, yeah, we do what we can. Yeah. All right. So tonight I would like to bring up something that I feel should be so much more famous and well-known than it is. It's known as the Montauk Project. Are you familiar with Montauk? New York, right? It's in New York. Yeah. In Long Island. So the Montauk Project is a conspiracy theory that alleges there were a series of secret United States government projects conducted at a place called Camp Hero, or the, and at different times it was known as, or at different time it was known as the Montauk Air Force Station uh, in Montauk, New York, for the purpose of developing psychological warfare techniques and exotic research, including, and this is a big one, time travel. Oh, 
good. Because you know the military has gotten up to some weird shit. They sure have. The story of the Montauk Project originated in the Montauk Project series of book by uh, a guy named Preston Nichols. And he's a bit of a character and adds some shade to this story. The Montauk experiment story seemed to have originated with the highly questionable account of, of uh, Mr. Nichols and another guy named Stuart Swerdlow, who both claim to have recovered repressed memories of their own involvement in the project. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Preston Nichols also claims that he was periodically abducted to continue his participation against his will. And by participation, I don't mean he was a subject. I mean, he was one of the ones conducting experiments on others. Oh. And I'll get into a little bit more detail what that would entail and and how they would sort of take people in and out of this project a little bit later. This kind of got an X-Files bit of vibe to it. Yeah, I'm curious to see what you think at the end, because this has inspired a rather major pop culture phenomenon. Okay. So you follow along and see if you can figure it out. And if you do, you get a prize at the end of the episode. It's Riceroni, the San Francisco treat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what my, one of my favorite things about Riceroni was you would open a box of Riceroni. 20% of the time, you would find a VHS copy of Big Trouble and Little China inside <laughs> the box. And I just loved that. You know what I loved about Riceroni? You what? could prepare it in a wash basin. <laughs> 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 oh boy all right so nichols who was born on may 24th 1946 on long island new york close by claims to have degrees in parapsychology psychology and electrical engineering and he has authored a series of books known as the montauk project series which i mentioned earlier along with a guy by the name of peter moon whose real name is vincent barbaric the primary topic of the montauk project concerns the alleged activities at Montauk Point, which is where that uh, Camp Hero and, and the Air Force Base was. These center on topics including United States government military experiments in fields, as I mentioned before, is time travel, teleportation, mind control, contact with alien life, and staging faked Apollo moon landings. So they claim oh. that that whole thing was concocted there. Oh, no. They're the genesis of that bullshit. Well, speaking of genesis, the genesis apparently for the Montauk Project was the apparently successful 1943 Philadelphia experiment. I saw that movie. I actually have never seen that movie, and it didn't do very well at the box office at the time. No. But it has a bit of a cult following, I believe, now. Yeah. So that, the Philadelphia Experiment, for people who don't know, that conspiracy theory was around a lot longer than the Montauk Project theory. But it essentially alleges that the military experimented on time travel and uh, that the U.S. Navy was involved. And it was an air carrier, right? It was a, a ship, a destroyer. Okay, I thought it was an air carrier. Yeah, so it, it occurred in 1943 in the harbor just outside of uh, Philadelphia. The destroyer's name was the USS Eldridge. Basically, the claim is that they were able to render that ship uh, invisible or cloaked to enemy devices. Uh, that story first appeared in 1955. Uh, it's widely understood to be a hoax, though, and, and not many people take it uh, seriously. The, the Navy maintains that no such experiment was ever conducted and that the details of the story contradict well-established facts about the USS Eldridge and that the alleged claims do not conform to any known physical laws. Yeah, because you know the military never covers anything up. Well, here's the interesting thing. We... 
I know that the idea of cloaking with radar absolutely exists now, right, with mm-hmm. the stealth fighters and bombers, as well the um, ability to warp light so that things can become invisible is something that is being experimented on. It's theoretically possible, isn't it, I think? I think they have an idea maybe how they could do it. Yeah. But they need to event, they need to get on it because I want to see a cloaking device like the Romulans use. You got to be able to cloak a Romulan warbird before I'm impressed. Well, and you'd have to find the Romulans. Let me hold on, let's back this up. So we discover the Romulans, but yes. they don't have a cloaking device on their ships. You're not impressed. No. And they're just all war. They're all into fighting and shit. <laughs> so to go back to the book, uh, the book confirmed what a lot of people living in or around Montauk have long suspected, that the former military base was once ground zero for some of the most sordid and secretive research projects in U.S. history. Oh, wow. So to delve a little bit more into Preston Nichols in the 70s and 80s, uh, Nichols was the leader of the psychotronics movement. He claimed that government agents were using electromagnetic radiation to transmit ideas directly into people's heads. His followers, some of whom still wear metal pots, they wear, you know, when you adage of people wearing metal pots on their heads or tinfoil, mm-hmm. that's where it comes from. Oh. Is, is this guy. There was a movie with Mel Gibson where he was like that, right? Uh, yeah. A conspiracy, conspiracy theory. theory. Yeah. Conspiracy theory. So Back when we didn't hate him. The, yeah, I know. Oh, I, that man. I still love the Mad Max movies. Like but the first man, two especially. God, I know. The guy's got some issues. I know. He's an angry guy. Uh, so that the whole idea there was that they wanted to prevent microwaves from entering your head, which would allow the government to control you. So Nichols himself claims to have been teleported to Montauk in 1968 and says he worked on Camp Hero's semi-automatic ground environment radar tower, otherwise known as SAGE. Now, there's another interesting person that is not connected with the uh, the book series that has uh, shed more light on this conspiracy, and his name is Christopher Garitano. He grew up on Long Island and has spent years convinced that the government is hiding something sinister beneath the what we can see on the ground. He documented his search on film in 2015's Montauk Chronicles, and he's featured in an episode of the History Channel's Dark Files about the Montauk Project. The film is an adaptation of Preston Nichols' work, so it, it takes that sort of as the base material, but then he went and did his own his own research, and it actually did well. Like, it was critically acclaimed. It won Best Documentary at the Philip K. Dick Film Festival in New York City, and uh, and it, it it's well-received. So it's not like one of those weird things you find on YouTube. It's actually respected by, uh, by a lot of the people that have watched it. Garitano says this, I started hearing all of these strange, bizarre stories about Montauk, a multitude of things that were anomalous and not normal. And that sort of inspired him to start asking the questions and started he started to do his own digging. Okay. And before we discount what these guys are saying, and, and some of the things that they're claiming are pretty outlandish, the U.S. military has a long history of doing really creepy, weird things to people. There's the 1932 incident known as the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the Negro Male. Oh, yeah. Right? uh, It was the Public Health Service who did it. Uh, They took 600 black men, 339 of which had syphilis. They observed them and actively denied known treatments for that debilitating disease just so they could watch what happened. Oh, for fuck's sake. 
just like horrible. Just right? for fuck's sake. Didn't they do the LSD thing as well? Right. So there was also the, um, what was it? MK Ultra program. So that was 19 CIA, 1953. And they were testing drugs on prisoners and students and hospital patients to see the effects of different kinds of drugs on people. So that's mm-hmm. MK Ultra, which is a, a rather famous one. And then there was also Operation Paperclip, uh, which occurred after World War II, where the U.S. actively recruited Nazi scientists for government employment, some of whom are rumored to have contributed their human experimentation experience to the Montauk Project. So you hear some of these things, like MK Ultra or the, the syphilis uh, study, they almost sound like something that the Nazis would have done. Mm-hmm. Well, they brought those Nazis in and had them working. Mm-hmm. So it's not a far reach to suggest that they could have had sort of sinister projects underway. Okay. So let me tell you a little bit about the site, what it looks like now. Okay. Today, it's a 755-acre, heavily wooded park. It's actually a a state park now, known as the Camp Hero State Park. 415 of those acres were part of the the military base. So this thing's huge. I was going to say, that's a lot of territory. Yeah, and the the park features a lot of forests and freshwater wetlands and these beautiful bluffs uh, that overlook the the Atlantic Ocean. It's very dramatic and gorgeous. You could imagine having an incredible picnic uh, there with your family, not knowing at all that this used to be a very secretive base uh, that, you know, some pretty serious things were happening in. Are all the structures gone? A lot of them are still standing. I'll get into that. Good. Okay. So visitors can drive, bike, horseback ride, or walk along the paved roads of the former military base or set up a picnic uh, alongside crumbling structures uh, sealed with boards and and covered with do not enter warnings and things like that. It's very surreal and weird if you look at pictures of it, you know, or you can be next to the ocean and stuff. But it's it's very odd that this place has been made into a, a park. So you can visit the surface, but you can't go inside any of the buildings at all. And there's video surveillance and employees all over the place. So one uh, reporter that I was reading an article that he that he had uh, written about it, he was curious and wanted to go and see what it was all about. Uh, he said all these dilapidated structures have camera systems working, so you're being watched all the time. Mm-hmm. And he said there's always people that you know, like they're picking up garbage or they're they're driving an ATV, looking at things. But he always got the the sense that he was being watched. Oh my the God. whole time. And this guy is not a, a conspiracy theorist. He's a, he was a reporter. He was an investigative reporter. So he, he didn't come out of it saying, I saw something that was eerie. The only eerie thing was the fact that he did not feel like he was ever at ease. He felt like they were always watching exactly what he was doing. Oh, this is so X-Files. I love it. So the most prominent feature of the old base and, and the park now is this giant, giant rotating radar tower. Okay. I mentioned it earlier, the, the Sage uh, radar tower. So that was once the mother station to a series of smaller manned radar towers that were located in the ocean along the East Coast. Mm-hmm. It was They were built in the 1950s and that network of towers was meant to be a, an early warning system in the case of a Russian uh, ICBM. Is it the Dew Line? I don't. I Distant don't early warning? D-E-W? I don't know what you're talking about. I feel like you just made that up. No, look up the dew line. D-E-W. I'm not looking it up. You look it up. My dad worked on it. Quite possibly. I didn't see that name in my research, but... Yeah, it's it's a NATO project. It's NATO. Possibly. I'll look it up. Uh, well, I, I don't think this was NATO. Well, I guess the United States is part of NATO, but this was American-run 
radar stations. Let me type in a way like a... Yeah, you, you, you look it up. The distant early warning line, or the dew line, was a series of radar stations across the Arctic from Alaska through Canada over Green... Oh, no, so it's too far north. Yeah. And they could, they could detect enemy bombers coming over the North Pole from Russia. But the same idea. Yeah. Okay. So like the dew line. In the 1950s, I mean, the radar would have been looking for probably um, submarines, ships, and then eventually the, the ICBMs, the, the missiles, right? And it would afford them about an extra 30 minutes. So this is before satellite imagery and things like that. That's how much time. It would be just enough time to hit the switch and get your own missiles up in the air so that you could uh, make sure that your enemy was destroyed as well. Or maybe if you're an important person, get underground. Right, exactly. So every 12 seconds, the radar tower would rotate and there would be animals apparently freaking out all over the place. And according to locals, headaches in that area, super frequent. Uh, So there was a lot, there was something, whether it was just the high pitch noise that was generated from this thing circling around, something disturbed the animals and the people living in the area. And it's often been attributed to that, the rotation of the, that um, of that tower and Garitano, who I mentioned earlier, who lived in the area, also said that you know the electronics in the area mm-hmm. often didn't work in people's homes. Oh fuck! It's early five G, man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> of uh, of the similar towers that were constructed all across the United States, this is the only one left, and it's actually a uh, a, a monument, and uh, and it is considered a national historic site, uh, and, and is one of the most instantly recognizable Long Island landmarks. It sits on the very very eastern tip of Long Island. Okay. Right. So the the dish itself is a ni- is ninety feet tall and it's forty feet wide. It's visible from a very long distance away. And there's something though, and it and it hasn't been active uh, for a very long time. 1966, they decommissioned it. They didn't need it anymore. So it's been sitting still mm-hmm. and sitting in the same direction since 1966 until 2011. And this, I love. There's going to be a series of these neat little stories, and this is one of them. Okay. So in 2011, a local wakes up in the morning, looks out his window, and this guy grew up there his whole life. He could he he knows there's something wrong with the horizon, and he can't quite put his finger on it. Then he realizes, holy shit, the radars turn 90 degrees. Oh. So he calls a friend, and they call the news, they call the police. The the town becomes involved, and he's not wrong. The thing moved 90 degrees. And it had been in the same position since 1966. This is 2011. I gotta know, how much does it weigh? A lot. Okay. It's heavy. They had, uh, the, 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 the government came in and inspected inside the radar station and uh, apparently said, nope, nothing, it's not on and nothing's been activated. There's no evidence that anyone had turned it on or anything like that. That's what the government said. The town was also concerned, though, because if it was wind that was pushing mm-hmm. this thing or something had become broken, you know, it's old. Mm-hmm. Perhaps this thing is about to fall and, and, and kill someone. They, they sent a fire crew up. They did the best they could, although they didn't have ladders quite tall enough to get all the way to the top. They, they couldn't see anything wrong with it. Eventually, they had other people come and look, and there was nothing wrong with this thing. And then it moved again. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. oh my God. I, I believe it was another 90 degrees. It moves again. Oh, I love this. So then the police think, okay, so there is 
someone's playing a prank. <laughs> Maybe it's like high school kids that are attaching ropes or, or like whatever. First of all, they had enclosed the area with uh, warning tape, right? So people couldn't get in in case this thing does collapse. They then set out, uh, they had a, um, a group of um, police out and nothing happens because mm-hmm. they're watching. Okay. I think that lasted three days. So nothing happens. The police say, well, this is, this is crazy. We can't keep this going. So they stop. It moves again. Ah. So then they put plainclothes cops in the park, pretending to just be uh, people loitering around. And, and it never happened again. So it had these three incidents. I believe, I think it was three, where it moved. And there's no explanation. And in, in, apparently in the inspections of this thing, it was in good working order. There was no, like it was, the, the steel was still in, in fairly good shape. And, and uh, so it's odd. It's really, really odd. And no one's ever claimed responsibility. No one has ever claimed responsibility for it uh, it moving. And if you, I'll get into this again a little bit later, what that dish might have been able to do, it's a bit odd. It's, it's neat. It's fun. So according to Montauk Project Believers, sadistic experiments took place beneath this radar tower in secret laboratories connected by a series of tunnels. So this radar tower is kind of like ground zero mm-hmm. for everything bad that happened uh, on this in this site. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Are there tunnels and sub, sub, sub basements? And- I, will get, I will get to that. All right. I'm sorry. You just keep your questions to yourself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> can you imagine that was? Can you imagine that is the relationship we had? Good lord! You were fe- like super I'll, subservient. I'll go. I'll go fetch the wash basin. <laughs> yeah. I'm never. That's never going to get old yeah. for me. <laughs> so the radar tower uh, using used powerful frequent, uh, frequencies that uh, apparently allowed scientists uh, to tap into people's consciousness mm. and allowed them to control people's minds, especially children. <laughs> but I'll get it. I'll get into more of that a little bit later. Okay. So you were asking about the underground lair. I'm sorry. You should be. Because seriously, if you keep going with these questions, I'm taking you to the underground lair in my basement. Wow. Okay. Not the first time I've been to somebody's underground lair in their basement. hey <laughs> All right. So, although the official government-issued blueprints say otherwise, Garitano and others are obsessed with discovering what they believe is still hiding underground in Camp Hero. Garitano has explored the park hundreds of times, but he's never been granted permission to go beyond the surface like everyone else. Garitano says, the official word is that there's nothing underground, but I really think there's something to hide there. Before Camp Hero became an official park, this is very interesting, a guy by the name of Brian Minnick, who is a kid who grew up near the base, uh, he and his friends as teenagers were able to explore inside the radar tower. So this is before the government completely shut the ability of people to be able to to go in so they kind of broke in and, and started exploring it and while he never found any definitive evidence of a government cover-up he did find some things that were a bit strange one of the things that uh, he found that I, I find kind of interesting is he found records paper records of mass quantities of food ordered to the base in the late 1980s long after the military had left Montauk. Ah. So apparently, I think it was 1988, they're still ordering food that would feed about 2,000 people. Oh, oh my God. Okay. 
Okay, super strange. Uh, Minnick also has photographs that he took uh, and uh, inside the radar station, and there some of them are these rooms with brightly painted walls and psychedelic patterned wallpaper that some people say is evidence that uh, captive children were also uh, subjected to acid tests. It's freaky, and I'll, I'll, I'll post those pictures as well because they almost look like there's something wrong with the picture. Oh wow! Um, with the, with the kind of wallpaper that they were using. I'm looking at the radar right now. I have a picture up. Wow, it's cool. It's one of those big uh, metal ones that it's sort of like a grate. Yeah, it's really cool. That's right. Minnick says uh, there's a lot of there were a lot of strange things uh, when we were exploring, and the sum total of all those strange things is very compelling Mm -hmm. this one i absolutely love and this is one of the only ones where there's kind of some evidence Mm -hmm. like hard evidence Mm -hmm. of something really strange going on here oh goody in july 2008 the carcass of a beaked hairless creature washed up on the shores of montauk three friends say they found the animal at ditch plains beach which is located just four miles west of camp hero Local newspapers speculated that the corpse had washed up from Plum Island and was an experiment from the government's secretive animal disease center gone horribly wrong. Whoa. Proponents of the Montauk project have pointed to the Montauk monster as just one more piece of their increasingly complicated puzzle. And go ahead, do a search on the Montauk monster right now and and you'll see what I'm talking about because people took a picture of this thing, this corpse, on the beach uh, when they found it. Oh, there it is. So initial media reports included speculation that the Montauk monster might have been a turtle without its shell, although people have come out now and it definitely wasn't a turtle. And most experts agree that it it might be a badly decomposed raccoon. Riley, take a look at that picture. Does that look anything like a raccoon? No. Nothing. That's weird. And to me, the thing that, that stands out, I could see the body maybe being a raccoon. And if it lost all its hair and it became bloated, it would look like that. But take a look at the neck. Take a look at the teeth. Take a look at the beak. It has a beak. Yeah, it's it looks really like, weird looking. It reminds me of a creature, like a hellhound. Like, that's what it looks like to me. It's it's unlike anything I've ever seen. It also reminds me of, like, um, a nuclear fallout yeah. creature that was created as a result of yeah. creatures being exposed to radiation, like yeah. Resident Evil shit. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly, exactly. Look, absolutely could be a decomposed raccoon. That's Maybe. not a raccoon. We live in the country of raccoons. I know. That's not a raccoon. And here's the thing, too, with this whole, with that, is it's not like the experts looked at it and went, that's a fake. Like, that's a, a dummy. They're arguing, well, what that creature was. So it did exist. That picture's legitimate. You take a look, folks, and you uh, you let us know what you think. Wow, that's a creepy one. Yeah, right? Mm. So... Here, I want to dive a little bit into some of the experiments that apparently were um, were conducted there. So apparently in the early 70s, that's when everything began in earnest. So the, fi- the facility was expanded to as many as 12 levels and several hundred to some reports claim thousands of uh, workers uh, without anyone in the town noticing the tons of building materials and all these people that you know were operating out of there that'd be like a small town right underground yeah well that's it though it's all underground so maybe that's why they wouldn't have seen them although that seems a bit far-fetched that no one would know that that's happening was building techniques and construction 
techniques evolved enough to have that many layers underground then? Of course. Then? Oh, of course. The 1970s? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Think of the the um, the Cold War bunkers that were built in the 1950s. Were they multi-level? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, right here in Ottawa, we have something called the Diefenbunker. Yeah, I've done an escape there. Right. There, that, that was built in the uh, the 1950s, and it was where the one of the uh, bunkers that the prime minister and his cabinet ministers and other key people in government could go in the case of a nuclear attack. And it, it goes, I think that one is three or four stories underground. Yeah, but I think you only live on one level. I think the other, like there was a vault, I think, at the very... Yeah, there was a Bank of Canada yeah. has a, a vault. I did a weird gig in there where I played Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was one of the best acting gigs I ever had. I got paid a lot of money and just got to be Santa for an, an evening for a high-tech company. Uh, there's a Christmas party. It's a very chilling place. It's very, very creepy. Yeah. On the bottom levels where the cafeteria was. I really liked the classroom for the little kids because it creeped me out. Mm-hmm. Well, and they've left all that stuff is like... And all the like teddy bears and funny little art and stuff, but you're underground because the world has been destroyed. That. Technologically, yes, absolutely possible. Okay. Even think of, of World War II, the Germans, they're like Hitler's bunker and stuff like that. They were quite extensive. Think of the subways that were being that's built. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so there, there are some claims, too, that these tunnels go as far as the town of Montauk itself. Ooh. That they were able to operate. And that was one of the ways that they could secret people in and out was that the entrances to the base were nowhere near the actual base. <gasps> Oh, yeah. can you imagine? Emily, there's lots of people going into that diner over there. And they're just, they, I, 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 they're not coming out, Emily. They're not. I, I've been watching all day, Emily. They're not coming out. Come see. The women's washroom at a Burger King. Yeah, just keep going Street. in. Oh, I love so it. apparently homeless people uh, were abducted and subjected to huge amounts of electromagnetic radiation. And again, this is according to um, Nicholas. And most of those people died. Or sorry, I said Nicholas. Nichols. They would kind of just use them as fodder for different experiments. Experiments were also conducted in teleportation. Now, as far-fetched and weird-sounding as that is, that's another one that physicists are still working on. It is maybe possible uh, to teleport something. They need to work on that harder because I want to go to dinner like in Paris. Well, I think what they've done now is they've taken like a single photon or something and have been able to get it from one place to another without it actually. Yeah, they're at the infancy of figuring the physics behind that out. Don't ask me to explain it because I'm not a physicist. I wonder if it has anything to do with the Hadron Collider. I don't think so, because that one literally just collides things and then they sort of analyze. It's dark matter, isn't that? Yeah, dark matter and stuff like that. I don't know anything about that kind of stuff. I'm a complete... I love dunce. it. I love it too, but I'm a dunce. I've tried to educate myself, but it is quite complex. Apparently, a porthole in time was created at uh, Montauk, which allowed researchers to travel anywhere in time or space. This was developed into a stable time tunnel, which sort of reminds me, I don't know if you've ever read or seen The Man in the High Castle. No. 
where that's essentially what the the Nazis are able to harness is a time tunnel uh, where they're able to go to whatever time they want and uh, ensure that they well actually in, in that sorry it's not a time tunnel it's a, a allows them to go to different dimensions alternate realities alternate universes very interesting good book apparently contact was made with alien extraterrestrials through this time tunnel and technology was exchanged with them which enhanced the project and this allowed broader access to something known as hyperspace oh then on or about august 12th and that's a quote it could have been the 11th. It could have been the 13th of August, uh, 1983. The time travel project at Camp Hero interlocked in hyperspace with the original Philadelphia experiment back in 1943. Oh, cool. Right. So that's why I brought it up earlier because this now plays a pretty key piece in the next part of the story. That's cool. So the USS Eldridge was drawn into hyperspace and trapped there. And there's people that claim to have been on the USS Eldridge that experienced this. Oh, cool. Okay. Two men, Al Bielek and Duncan Cameron, both claim, as I just mentioned, that they were on the ship and they leaped from the deck of the Eldridge while it was in hyperspace and ended up at Camp Hero in 1983. Oh my God. Okay. Are they around? Yes. Oh, and are they young? Did they show up young? Just wait, there's more. Okay. They claim to have met a famous physicist while they were there uh, named John von Neumann, not to be confused with Victor Newman from Young and the Restless. That's such a freaking physicist name too. John von Neumann. <laughs> it's just such a light bulb name. Go ahead. Yeah. So he's a, he's a famous physicist and mathematician. Of course he is. And, uh, but here's the thing. They claim that they met him in 1983. He died in 1957. Oh, and apparently von Neumann's uh, worked on the Philadelphia experiment, but the U.S. Navy denies this. Oh, and now I have to go and watch the Philadelphia experiment. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Watch me download the wrong. Watch me download the Philadelphia story by accident and come back next week. That wasn't about that at all. Or just Philadelphia. And then you'll feel really sad and miserable. Well, no, he doesn't. I, I'm not big on that movie. After seeing the Philadelphia experiment in 1988, 57-year-old Al Bielek couldn't shake the eerie feeling that he'd seen it somewhere before. Undergoing various forms of New Age therapies, Bielek was able to uncover repressed memories of having worked on the Montauk project in the 70s and 80s. He also ascertained that his memories have been locked away to keep the experiment secret. So he's sort of repeating what many others have their memories are sort of wiped So it's clean. like the men in black with that device. They point at you and you're, you're, you forget everything. So, and this is just buckle up here. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm still a little confused with all this. I think I've got it, but this gets complicated because we're dealing with time travel and multiple versions of self. Okay? Absolutely. Okay. As his memories came flooding back, he learned that his name wasn't Al Bielek after all, but that he was born Edward Cameron and that he'd also worked on the Philadelphia experiment with his brother, Duncan Cameron, mm -hmm. who I had mentioned earlier, the guy who jumped off the ship when both men were in their mid-20s. A few years later, Al presented his story at a UFO conference, and uh, he stated that the, the Philadelphia experiment was real and that he was the proof having lived out the World War II section of the movie. Bielek claimed that sometime in the 1940s, here's another big name, Nikola Tesla, mm -hmm. figured out how to make the USS Eldridge invisible and in the process opened up a time wormhole into the future that sucked in the ship. Okay, 
So they were trying to make it invisible, but somehow accidentally created this wormhole. Okay. Which physicists will also argue is is very possible to fold space-time and to very easily, quickly go from one place to another. Well, it's the foundation of a lot of science fiction writing. Yeah, it is theoretically possible. Cool. Okay. As stated previously, the Cameron brothers were on board and they jump off the vessel and they landed at Montauk's Camp Hero on August 12th, there around 1983. The military promptly sent them back through the wormhole with a mission, destroy the equipment on the Eldridge. Interesting, eh? Yeah, of course, the military. Well, maybe because they realized it was an accident, like we shouldn't be traveling through time type thing. By 1983, maybe they knew, okay, this is going to happen when they come, that we've got to send them back through this wormhole and close off this highway between the two times. According to Bielek, the brothers completed their mission, though that didn't stop the government from doing more experiments or building portals into the future, which on one hand doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would they send them back to destroy something that they're then going to try to recreate? But there's also competing arms of the government, right? Of course, yeah. In unison. And if it's a black mission or things like that, then it doesn't even need congressional approval or, you know, it it could be kept top, top secret. Maybe we need to do a a episode on this. Is there supposed to be a branch of the government that's like way secret that nobody knows about, like beyond the CIA? Well, if we knew, then if I knew the answer to that, then we would know about that. Well, no, but I'm saying are there rumors of it? Did someone say, you know, I was the secretary for this for 10 years? Yeah. Yeah, or there's a hidden branch of the CIA and things like that. There's black, I mean, we know that black ops exist. Yeah. So those are the the operations that that occur off the books. Yeah. I'm just wondering if you there's know. a super, you know, a super secret thing we just don't know about. I bet there is. I'm sure there is. I bet there is. During a 1990 speech for the Mutual UFO Network, Bielek described in vague terms how he'd, and this is where it starts to get complicated here, how he'd been de-aged, had his memory wiped, and had been forced to live out the rest of his life as Al Bielek. So he was Ed Cameron, and then he was forced to become Al Bielek. He explained how, in the early 1960s, he, as Edward still, had convinced his father to have another child so they could port Duncan, his brother's consciousness, from 1983 into the sibling born in 1963. Bielek referred to this version of Duncan as a walk-in soul. He also suggested that a 1983 accident caused him to begin aging rapidly. Okay, you know what? That lost me. That's really fucking out there. That's the part that I find hard to follow. Yeah, someone, someone's been reading too much fiction. Because it, it means that there's multiple versions of himself happen. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, it's, like just, it's, it's, it's ridiculously complex, too. Uh-huh. So I have more about this about this guy, too. A That's bit the later. kind of guy that, like, ends up sitting next to me on the bus and telling me shit like that. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I, no, just go away. No. Bielik's stories circulated and gained the attention of Preston Nichols, who would befriend Bielik and tell the Cameron brothers and his own story in, in his series of books. Another interesting uh, thing that has been claimed is that there was something called the Montauk chair, and it's a it was a piece of furniture that used electromagnetics to amplify psychic powers. Uh, Duncan Cameron apparently was found to have psychic powers and became the focus of many of the Montauk chair experiments. 
Apparently, Duncan could manifest objects just by thinking about them while in the Montauk chair. And the first experiment was called the seeing eye. With a lock of a person's hair or something else that belonged to that person, that was special to that person, Duncan could concentrate on the person and be able to see as if he was seeing through their eyes, hearing through their ears and feeling what they felt. He could actually see through people no matter where they were on the planet. If you think in terms of military importance, it would be the ultimate spy tool. All they would need is something of a person, and then that person's secrets would be completely known to them. And that technique is also not too far off from just what psychics do. You know, like the right. psychics that work for the police, they get a piece of the clothing of the deceased, like a like a sniffing dog, and they examine it, and they try to get vibrations off it. So that's not that out there. Like Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost. Oh, my God. Would you say Ghost is your favorite movie? I hate that movie. If you had to rank Big Trouble and Little China and Ghost, which one do you like more? Little China. At least it's got action. Ghost is just, it's a, it's a sappy, romantic movie. And I, I don't know, I don't think Demi Moore is a very good actress. And I don't think oh my God. that Patrick Swayze was a very good actor. Oh, my God. I don't. I think they were... So you're trying to tell me that Patrick Swayze wasn't robbed in Roadhouse? He was lucky. Um, he got good roles. I think there was more to him, though, than we saw. Um, Did you like him as a dancer? I didn't know he was a trained dancer. I didn't know. I thought they, they made him learn to dance for the movie. I didn't realize that he brought that gift. It was the other, yeah, it was the other, way, the other way around. He was a mm -hmm. really good dancer. You know, I should take back what I just said because I saw something about him on television and he was on television. I sound like him in the 70s. He was a very complex person. He was, there yeah. was more to him than meets the eye. He wasn't like a buffoon like Tom Cruise. There yeah. was more, there's... There was a lot to Swayze, and he was really beloved. Yes. He died very young. So I take yes. it back. I don't like Ghost, uh, but that's just me. I, that's just But you. I like stupid it, movies sometimes. So it, it was a movie of its time. Yeah. yeah. It has an age super I well. was probably too old and cynical to get into it. Seriously. Right. Yeah. 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 Yes, I would have been a teenager when that came out. Like, into. I loved Little House on the Prairie when I was 12, but as mm -hmm. me now, I can't bear to watch it. Mm-hmm. It's too bad, eh? When shows that you thought were um, were great as a kid you return to, or movies, and they're not. But it's also equally wonderful when they stand up. Can I tell you two that, and I'm not kidding here, Yeah. that I've watched as an adult and gone, like, thinking they were going to be absolutely horrible. Yeah. And I and I have a feeling you're going to hate at least one of them. No, go for <laughs> it. Uh, Knight Rider. Okay, I don't know it enough to make any comment. Okay, I watched that thinking it was going to be really, really bad, and it's 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 you know. That's David Hasselhoff, uh, right? Yeah, it's a silly sitcom, but it was fun. It's still fun to watch. And then the other one that I swear by, and I still watch it sometimes because it's on Prime, is Alf. I know. Are you being serious about Alf? I'm. That's why I said you wouldn't believe me. I. It's funny. The guy who plays the puppet is excellent, and Willie Tanner, the father. I can't remember the actor's name. The, 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 the droopy guy with the glasses. Oh! Yeah. He, who's also recently passed away. He's a great straight guy. Yes. And the, it, it's classic. It's just a classic straight and zany. And I find it very funny. You know, there's one show that I absolutely love. And you won't have ever probably heard of it because you're too old. But there was a show on when I was a kid in the 70s called Family. And Family was where we all got to see Meredith Baxter Burney for the first time. 
Oh, when yeah. she was still Meredith Baxter Bernie and mm-hmm. Christy McNichol, that was her introduction oh, to the world. Yes, and it was a show. It was an Aaron Spelling show, right? So it oh. was Hollywood royalty. Anyway, it was a show about a family, but it was the first family show, unlike The Waltons or Little House or Eight Is Enough or any of the family shows we'd seen before that. It was the first one that was real. Like they mm. they'd get pissed off at each other, and they dealt with mm-hmm. some really hardcore topics. And it was one of the first television shows to deal with a gay person. Oh. And in the show, um, they have Willie as the um, the twenty something son, and he has mm-hmm. a friend who comes out to him. Mm-hmm. And there's th- stuff like that. There's a woman who's abused, and there's they dealt with topics in the late seventies that no other show was dealing with. And I watched it recently, and that shit stood up. It was still mm. really engaging and really well done. That's nice. I like that. All right. Well, let's let's get back to the story here. We needed a little uh, a break from time travel stuff here. So this is a, this is again this is where like Nichols is saying this is what he did. This was his part in the Montauk project. He continued to experiment on on Duncan, who was such a powerful psychic that no one suspected that he was actually a man from the distant past inserted into a new body. He, so he would have been a child, right, at this time. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he tried to harness... You can see my <laughs> face, face, right? Just, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I did. He tried to harness his adept subject's powers in the Montauk chair to conduct mind control experiments using special radio dishes at Camp Hero. And this is where the other ch- children come in. After several years of experimenting with Duncan in the Montauk chair, Nichols claims that they could reliably travel to other times and places and even went to Mars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to say, I don't believe a word of no, this. No, I don't either. I'll talk a little bit more about that after. But anyway, so eventually they were able to program Duncan with some basic commands so that the uh, the poor kid didn't need to be confined to the chair all the the time. So how kind of them Yes, uh, that they allowed him to get out of that chair. At one point, however, Nichols' superiors told him to turn on the Montauk chair and leave it running through August 12th, 1983. And as the story goes, by having another time travel machine switched on, the Montauk project successfully created a time wormhole to 43. So it was by having this other chair, this chair turned on and left on, that it allowed for this wormhole to be connected to 1943, apparently. So that's how Ed and Duncan Cameron uh, from 43 come through the portal, and then the rest of that story plays out. So Nichols kept the Duncan of 1943 away from the 63 version, but quickly realized that time travel was way too complex and far too dangerous to be messing around with. Torturing kids? Yeah, it's okay. But playing with time... You're stepping over a line. This, this you know? story is so complicated. I need one of those walls like FBI agents have with the red yarn. That's hilarious that you say that because when I was researching it, that's ex- I didn't do the yarn thing, but I did a whiteboard. I have a whiteboard in my office and really? I had to whiteboard this thing. Yeah, yeah, because I couldn't it's get my head really around complicated. it. Okay. So apparently he at Nichols has enough. Like he's just, he's not on board anymore with this project so he and some colleagues hatched a plan to use duncan to shut the project down he's quoted as saying we finally decided we'd had enough of a whole experiment the contingency program was activated by someone approaching duncan while he was in the chair and simply whispering the time is now oh wow at this moment he let loose a monster from his subconscious 
it showed up somewhere on the base and apparently it started eating everything it could find it was extremely powerful if it didn't eat it it would smash it and it created an immense amount of havoc on the base this is so like 1950s black and white monster movie so apparently there are several accounts uh, of this incident people describe seeing different things though so they don't completely mesh up but there is several accounts of something really violent happening on the base around this time so after that nichols was forced to destroy the montauk chair and when he did the beast disappeared into nothingness it just evaporated i guess okay that incident plus the successful time anchor that was built between the uh, between 43 and 83 ensured that the project would uh, be shuttered and that was it they wrapped it up Apparently, employees were then brainwashed, and in 1984, the lower levels of the base were filled in with cement. Also, as a quick aside, I didn't want to go too much into this. This is also apparently where they dabbled with creating metahumans. Oh, like the X-Men. Or the boys, which is big on... on, um, I just watched season one. Yeah, I've watched season one now, too. I just watched it, like, this week. I shouldn't say two, because that makes it sound like I watched season one and two. And I finally saw that um, episode of The Walking Dead that kind of closes that chapter. I stopped watching The Walking Dead when they killed the boy, Rick's son. Yeah, but he had to go. He was such a bad actor. I was glad. I just, that show needed to end about five seasons earlier. <laughs> I I watch it. I just, I put so much time into it, you know? Oh, and you know what it was too? It was, uh, okay, so actually, sorry, the beginning of the end for me was when they killed Glenn. It was needlessly violent. It was horrendously violent. Yeah. But I was okay with it because I remember, and I remember defending the show to people when talking to people saying, no, they're building, what's his, what was his name? Nita, Nita, Negan. Negan. They're building Negan up to be the ultimate bad guy. And that's okay. But then there has to be payoff. You need to take him out. And that had to happen the following season. And it didn't. And it didn't. It's when they attacked the base and they had the, all the advantage. Daryl did something stupid and went against... And that was it. That was it. I never watched it again. Do you know what I? You know what it is for me with characters like Negan and the Governor and all those people? Well, the Governor, not so much, but Negan. I find evildoers are boring if there's no motivation. Mm-hmm. So Sauron is a great villain because he wants the fucking ring. So he can become omnipotent yeah the best villains are the villains where there's a motivation and you that's why james bond villains there's always a reason for them being the way they are and negan is just a psycho asshole Mm -hmm. i found i had the same problem with sons of anarchy some of the people in that show are just psycho assholes and a a psycho asshole is boring he's just like you know somebody who just kills for no fucking reason well that's what i like about that's what i like about the boys is that they're they have reasons and Mm -hmm. you understand them and they took the whole that whole mythos of superhero and turned it around mm-hmm. and made them just corporate shills. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to wrap things up here. The uh, So apparently they, they shut uh, everything down, although there are some stories saying that research continues to this day deep underground and, and that the story is, is, has not uh, concluded. So let's go back to, Swir- to, I mentioned a guy by the name of Swerdlow earlier and, and obviously Nichols. 
these are the two guys that uh, claim to have worked together in the in the base. And Swerdlow is didn't write the book, but was a contributing force to the series of books that have been uh, written. Swerdlow, uh, who is a self-proclaimed hyperspace intuitive, that's uh, he calls himself that, and he he claims to have been a uh, subjected to this super soldier thing, uh, the mm-hmm. the metahuman that he was experimented on and things like that, and and so his, some of his stories ended up in the book. Well, here's the thing about this guy, and he's a prominent contributor to this whole story. He's also been convicted for bank fraud, in which he uh, pled guilty, right? Okay. So this guy is a con man. He's got liar in him, yeah. He claims that the government, for that he was framed, that the government basically said... And this happened after his claims came uh, about what happened on the base. He said, they framed me. They put me in a position where they said I was going to go to jail for the rest of my life or uh, I I pled guilty. And then it it discredits me. So I look like what I'm telling you wasn't true. Is that possible? Sure. Do I believe that? I don't I don't think so. I don't either. As well, here's another interesting bit. Uh, Nichols claimed, I mentioned earlier, that he claims to be a uh, an electrical engineer. And a guy by the name of Steve Volk, he was interviewed during a, a documentary, and he wrote a really good article that I liked. He uh, talked about Nichols being an engineer, and he showed some of Nichols' uh, drawings, electrical engineering drawings, to actual electrical engineers to see, is this guy act like... Is this make sense? What he, and they're like, no, that looks like someone who doesn't know at all what they're doing. Oh, okay. So he okay. might be a self-proclaimed person. Oh, I like that. And one of the things I liked about Volk too is that he, like in his article, he said, look, I didn't believe any of these things, but I wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt. And I was looking for evidence. Like he went and sifted through everything. He visited the site and all that. And he said, I, I, there's no evidence. Remember earlier I mentioned the, the written uh, records of food being ordered like a lot of mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. by Brian Minnick there's no record of it okay. he's claiming this but there's no he said he, he threw them out he didn't think they were that important he didn't keep them he might be telling the truth and Volk says the same thing he might be telling the truth but there's no evidence same thing with the pictures well how do we know that that's from underground how did he get in when no one else could and if it was really a secret base that's still being guarded now, why did they let this group of teenagers in there? Somebody, some fucking place, some concrete company remembers delivering a big load of concrete in the middle of the night. Somebody somewhere. You can't pull off an operation that big and get away with it. Do I think weird things happen there? Quite possibly. Yeah, there could have been lots of weird experiments and studies. The, the site is weird too. Like it's, and this is, this is fact that a lot of these military buildings were designed to look like a town. Okay. A barracks made to look like a church. Now there's a, a plausible explanation for that, that if an enemy military was looking at the, at this, they wouldn't think it was a base. They would think it was a town. The, the monster, like that's weird, right? I, that's my favorite part. And the tower, the moving tower. That, that's, that's such a great legend. Something moved the tower. Yeah, and that's not made up. That's There's witnesses that happened. So it almost makes you wonder, were they doing something inside? Is it still active inside? Is it still working? Yeah, because I saw in the picture, the door is, uh, you can't get in. You cannot get in from that, that spot. So let me ask you this, Riley. That's the end of my story. What does this remind you of? Something that's huge right now in pop culture was directly inspired by this. You're on the clock. Something wait, wait, something huge in pop culture. In pop culture. It's a TV show. Oh, I'm not good with TV shows though. I don't know, Doctor Who? I don't know. Um, it's very recent. 
I didn't. I don't know. I probably even watched it. Oh, I know. The Last Ship. No. What the hell's that? Never mind. No, it's not The Last Ship. It's not about Stranger Things. Oh. Because that, that, that underground elevator, yeah, thing. The mm-hmm. underground aspect, Eleven is kind of like that Duncan Cameron kid where okay. controlling things with, you know how she's able to go and see the Russians? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when she goes to the 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 uh, the, the flip side there, the, uh, the what's that called? Um, and her ability to control things with her mind, the monster. Mm-hmm. Think of those beasts that come through the the demigorgon or the uh, or even those like dog beast things that are I can't remember if it's season two or three. That's what that monster so reminded me of. Stranger Things, interesting. Yeah, and it's the, the 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 creators of Stranger Things have said that's what that is totally what inspired them to do the show. I remember that last time where they had that sassy black girl in the elevator. I loved her. The sassy black woman in the elevator. Black girl. Black young girl. She's young, young, Oh, young. yeah, 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 yeah. She yeah. wanted a free ice cream, and then she ends up down in the in the Russian yes. underground. Yes, yes. Oh, I love uh, His her. sister. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I want an ice cream. I loved her, loved her, loved her. <laughs> yeah, she was a great character. A really good character. That was the whole mall, the mall season. That was season three. Yeah, which people shit on, and I'm like, shut up. It was good. Oh, my God. The whole thing is fantastic. It's so fun. Yeah, it's uh, we are we are in the golden age of television right now. We are the world. We are the people. We are, we are the ones who make it a better place. So let's start giving. Giving. Remember, we Canada had that Northern Lights thing. It was so embarrassing. Yeah, uh, that was uh, tears are not enough. Yeah, out was comes that Anne, the out, and out comes Anne Murray. Mm-hmm. Any chance? You know, she's like, you call Anne Murray. Hey, oh yeah, I'll be there. Lawrence Gowan, Luba. No one's going to know who the fuck those people are. No, well, no. Strange Animal? You're the strange animal. I think that did well internationally. He ended up uh, doing, uh, being a vocalist for Yes. Riley, that is the end of this show. Longest episode to date. No, it's not. An hour and six minutes? It's the longest we've ever recorded. No, the the, um, Shackleton was longer. All right. I like that story. I love the parts that I love the most were the, the radar installation turning and the beastie dog. All that shit with Duncan this and Duncan. It was so complicated. I bring it up because it is a well-known story. This is not one of those ones that I'm like, I think this is, might be real. Like the Shackleton one, I brought that up earlier. I, I, I think to me that's a compelling story that I, I found it moving and neat. And there's so many other cool sort of uh, uh, similar stories that have occurred. This one, I think that Nichols is telling a, a good fiction story, mm-hmm. and he's telling a really good story. But that's it. It's a, and it's a very dense story. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, that there's kernels of truth in what he's talking about. Do you know what I just decided I'm going to do because it inspires me? For one episode, I'm going to do the Anastasia Romanoff legend. Oh, yeah, that'd that's be a cool, really one. good story, right? Mm-hmm. That's a good mm-hmm. story. It's also sad as fuck. Mm-hmm. So I think that deserves a, a turn on the weird turntable. Well, you are a communist, so I think you and all your communist followers will really enjoy. I would uh, not want to be about communist. The fall of the, you don't know any good communists. I would not be a communist because I like to have shit. I love to have stuff. Stalin would not be happy with you. No, I don't want the same thing everybody has. No. Especially when it comes to outfits. God. Um, thank you. That was lovely. Um, and it was a lovely autumn night tale. So now I'm going to go off into the darkness and, um, yeah, I'm alone for four days by myself. Oh, geez. No, it's, it's nice. I'm going to have a bath with the door open. 
Oh, because the dog won't come in and try to drink. Oh, the dog's gone too? Yeah, just me. Well, this is where you talked about being alone for Thanksgiving. It's an okay thing. I'm okay with it. I'm going to do puzzles and watch TV and eat pizza. I'll, t- I'll text you. Okay. I'll be around. So thank you, Dan. That's it for the weird. I have nothing administrative to say and just love you all. Keep listening. Um, stay with us. We love having you here. Yep. Good night, everyone. Thanks for, uh, for listening. Thank you so much. And we'll come back with another story next week. Bye. The thing moved 90 degrees. And then it moved again. It moves again. And then it moved again. It moves again. And then it moved again. It moves again. Yep.